Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome to the Zwift SBA Cycling Podcast for another dive into the world of cycling for this fortnight. Uh, I'm Christophe Mallet and I'm your host. Uh, before we start, uh, let me remind you that you can find past episodes of this podcast or all the information uh, on cycling or the world of cycling on our website, sbs.com.au slash central. Or you can download this podcast from your preferred podcast apps. Uh, joining me in the studio this week, it's Sophie Smith. Hey, Sophie, how are you? Bonjour, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, back from holidays, I believe. Back from, yeah, holidays, but a bit of barley belly since it wasn't the great, I'm not even sure I call it a holiday. We just have to follow you on social media to understand what it is. Yeah, whinging a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew Keenan Kino, you're back from uh, Europe, back from France. Uh, it's been a week. And I've unpacked my suitcase. I had the entire suitcase packed and most of it was used at some stage throughout Paris-Nice. Okay. Uh, weather in Paris-Nice was horrendous. I saw a couple of photos, uh, especially with Brenton Jones. Uh, yeah. at a f- it looks like it was winter in Marseille. Or yeah, in this- it was the opposite to the course de Soleil. It was not the race to the sun. It was the course de Puy. It was the race to the rain. It actually started okay in Paris and it got progressively colder and wetter the closer we got to the apparent sunny part of the race down in Nice. The weather was miserable and Simon Gerrans has paid a hefty price. Absolutely. Uh, before we start uh, and get stuck in actually on Milan Sanremo, uh, let's talk very quickly about Paris-Nice, how important that race is in, in the calendar and what did you make of, of this year's edition? Historically, it's been a race that has been a real proving ground for a young rider to demonstrate that they can lead a team. We've seen guys in the past like Merckx, Uncatil, those types of guys go on and obviously have enormous careers. Miguel Indurain, it was an important stepping stone for him. He won it in 89 and 90 before going on to win the Tour de France. Contador won it in 2007 whilst also winning the white jersey, going on to win the Tour de France that year. And Marc Soler, who won it this year, what was most impressive about him was the risk that he was prepared to take. He headed into the final stage with the white jersey. So he could have rightly taken the position of defending a spot on the podium as the best young rider. He was at 37 seconds down. He was in sixth place overall. Yates was in yellow. He was watching the guys at 11, 12 and 13 seconds behind him, the Izaguirre brothers and Tim Wellens. 50 kilometres to go. Marc Soler attacks. He goes down the road. He's in a break with two guys. He's got Omar Fraley with him and David de la Cruz. Both those guys are targeting the stage. He did not care if they sat on and missed a turn of pace. He put all his cards on the table, took a massive risk and won the race by four seconds. Phenomenal performance. And what was the vibe in uh, the Mitchelton team? They must have been gutted. They must have been. What was impressive was the performance by Matteo Trentin. What was disappointing on the final day was Kreuzinger and Chavez. The guy that impressed me the most from that team, because I've had generally low expectations of him up until this point, was Chris Jensen. He has stepped up in 2018. He was outstanding. One to watch out. Well, you're never going to watch out for him. No, no. he's not going to get big results, mm-hmm. but he is going to be a really important domestique for that team. He's selfless and he prides himself on doing the job for the others. Okay, let's talk about uh, Milan Sanremo, one of the the, the, the classic uh, of, of the season. The Shark, Nibali, won it. Oh, class, wasn't it? All Everyone class. was describing that as a masterpiece. I'm not actually sure if Milan Sanremo is really one for the sprinters. 
anymore. All the sprinters, all the marquee ones that were in there crashed, as Cavendish did, a really odd one with 10k to go, and Greipel broke his collarbone. Um, but it just goes to show sometimes age and experience, or almost always age and experience, um, particularly this season, are, are profiting. And I like what Matt said about Paris-Nice as well. We've had so much negative racing, I think, early season. It was really refreshing to see Nibali, you know, in Milan San Remo and, and Soler in Paris-Nice just put all their cards on the table and, and go for it. I think we've missed a, that so far this season. And Matt, you mentioned uh, Nibali. I mean, look at the, the pedigree he's building for himself. Built. Yeah, not building. <laughs> it's phenomenal. He's there. No, he's not finished. That's what no, I'm saying. No, he's not finished. So he's an Italian cyclist. And in Italy, he's won the Giro d'Italia twice. He's won Lombardia. And he's won Milan San Remo. Don't worry about the Tour de France or the Volta. <laughs> His work here is done. He's never paying for coffee again. But I didn't watch it live. I recorded it. And I was up at 6 o'clock in the morning with the social media blackout. <laughs> and I watched it. And my daughter got up at about 6.30. She's eight years of age. And she watched the last part with me. And she was asking the question, why do they call him the shark? And the obvious explanation was because he's really aggressive and he attacks a lot. And as he's gone over the top of the podio and he had about 13 seconds for memory at that point, I explained to my daughter Kartika how dangerous the descent was and this is really good for this guy. And she He's kept a brilliant saying, descender, isn't he? He's phenomenal. Mm. And she kept saying, Dad, doesn't he get scared? <laughs> Most people do, but Nibble is not normal. As much as from an Australian perspective, it would have been great to see Caleb Ewan Absolutely. win. The right guy won. And for every bit of praise that I gave just moments ago for Matteo Trentin at Paris-Nice, equal criticism for his performance at Milan-San Remo. Or is it the sports directors at Mitchelton-Scott that made the wrong call? If they were fully committed to Caleb Ewan and Trentin didn't try and respond to Vincenzo Nibali, and as good as Trentin is, he was never getting across to Nibali on his own. If he had spent the whole time on the Poggio alongside Caleb, worked with the quick-step guys to try and bring Nibali back, they would have caught him and Caleb would have won. Ifs, buts and maybes. They can learn from that experience. Caleb is not a guy that you need to relieve him of any pressure of sole leadership. He thrives on pressure. But we know how much he likes to win. He's a sprinter and he's got his own character. Uh, again, same question. Must have been gutted. He must have been. And for all the people that say, but Caleb's so young, he'll get his other opportunities. He'll win this race at some point. You never know. Uh, Cast your mind back to 2009. Cavendish won. If he had just missed out and Heinrich Hauser had to hold on, most people would have said, no problem, Cav will win this race soon enough. And that's a good example, touching what you just said about Caleb Ewan as well. Like They high rode that year with when Cavendish won. They really went all in with him. Like George Hincapi was there and you know, pulled him along in the finish. And that is something I'm interested to see how Mitchelton Scott sort of go about this season because they've got some big goals. But as they did in San Remo as well, they kind of have dual leadership here and there. And I think there's an argument that it doesn't in big races, it doesn't work. You did know? it work with Michael Matthews and Simon Gerrans? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so that's a no then. But, right, so you know, let's learn the I've lesson from this, that. I've asked this all last season and early this season, how are we going to get this to work? Particularly at like the Giro d'Italia and the, and the Tour de France. I spoke to Simon Yates in the Middle East about it and he... He was, you know, convinced, no, we can make it work. Chavez and I can, you know, call each other and make honest calls on the road. And, and Matt White, the DS, has said the same thing about the Tour. But you look at big races, um, the Tour de France, you know, particularly, Sky's won that so often because they have one leader. That's it. Everyone works for Chris Froome. Everyone works at Bradley Wiggins. It doesn't matter if you're Mark Cavendish. It doesn't matter if you're Chris Froome when Bradley Wiggins is a leader. They have one sole leader. And 
cycling, a lot of teams are sort of taking that that sort of ethos or that approach. And Mitchelton Scott, I'm just not convinced, and I could eat my words, you know, come August, that it's th- the right way to go. Or, you well, know, they might come off with a lot of close seconds, but no one really cares about first loser. It be- it's becoming much more important. One of the highlights of the season so far for me has been the reduction in team sizes. So you've got less opportunity to hedge your bets. You need to get it right. Unless you're a Fortuneo, for example, although they've got Warren Bargill, if you're one of those smaller teams and you're taking the shotgun approach and you're trying to get in breakaways and you don't have a clear sprinter or a clear GC rider, you do hedge your bets. But when you've got someone of Caleb's ability, you've got to build a quality lead-out train around him. And it's going to be fascinating to see the tour this year. And Matteo Trentin, he's not inherently a selfish rider. We've seen how good and selfless he was at quick step. So I actually think that the decision was predetermined at Milan San Remo, that he had that freedom, because he wouldn't have made that move if his instructions were to stay with Caleb. So it was a pre-race sports director decision, I think. Not being inside the team bus, but that's what it looked like. Okay, Michael Matthews finished seventh in finish in the pack. He was uncertain for the start of Milan San Remo a few days before. Um, overall, he performed really well. Yeah, good start. First race of the season. And he's been injured as well. Yeah, so, yeah. good yeah. start. You can... The thing that annoys me about Michael Matthews is his nickname because it belies the professionalism of Michael Matthews. Bling makes him sound as if he's a bit flashy, a bit of a rock star. He is one of the most disciplined guys. He's quite modest too, the, on the bike. He's, I think Bling more refers to like... He's really modest. Like materialistic yeah. Bling, but he is, he's, he's quite humble. He's modest. He's unbelievably polite. If I raise my kids to behave as well as him, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> so it belies the reality of Michael Matthews. Never lose any sleep over Michael Matthews coming to a race being prepared. And he finished just behind uh, Sagan. Isn't Don't they have a wonderful relationship? Absolutely. It's you... great. I love the, the way they're so close in so many facets. Uh, let's talk about the Volta Catalunya. What do we make of this race uh, for this week? Uh, Valverde won overnight. The stage three is going to be reduced because of the amount of snow that they've had so far. And Alejandro Valverde coming back from that horrific crash at the start of the Tour de France last year at, was he, 37, turning 38 years of age this year. Do you know there's few podcasts away, I can't remember how many, but we were even questioning, will he come back from that crash? We didn't know if he was going to come back turning into the new year. He's proving everybody wrong. Yeah, he's proving you wrong. And he's so confident. You're on your own. Maka Maka was here. Pacho was here. We're all questioning. Sophie was here, actually. So I I clearly... Fair enough. (laughs) I'd like a replay, please. At the moment, Christoph. You're on your own. Okay, I'm on my own. Well, uh, we were questioning, and I was questioning him coming back. uh, But he's proving me wrong then. Good. I'm happy with that. (laughs) And he's, again, a consummate professional, but... Also, his maturity and his position, he was in the Middle East and he just sat there and takes everything in his stride and he's comfortable. He's got sort of that innate calm about him, which yeah. I guess is an indication of his, his experiences as well. But I'm really in this he's race. He's on for the classics, isn't oh, he? He's, he's on. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Bernal goes in this one for Team Sky, the Colombian. He's a, he's a sensation. I had a chat this morning with Alex Clements, who used to ride with the Australian under-23 squad, and rode the Tour d'Avenir when Marc Soler won, the guy that won Paris-Nice. And he said, yeah, he was good. He won the Tour d'Avenir, but he wasn't a jaw-dropping standout. But you look at Bernal, who won Tour d'Avenir last year, and he is a jaw-dropper. And this guy is just exciting to watch. Landa, he was the real big buzz word last year, uh, especially in the Tour de France. What do we know about where he's at? Where is he at? He's had a win already. 
he's fine. Mikael Lander will be ready. Mikael Lander, the one thing he didn't like about Team Sky was the amount of structure in the training. Well, they wouldn't let him go either. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to that single focus. Yeah. I still think he's moved to movie star. I just think, you know, come July we'll be saying, how do you say, hashtag Freelander in yeah. Spanish. Like, so I don't think it's... <laughs> does, he, does he lack confidence in himself? Because he's gone from being the second banana at Astana, second banana at Sky, and now he might be third in line at Movistar behind Quintana and Valverde. Whereas you look at a guy like Warren Barguil, it's kind of a bit of a cop-out, I thought, him going down to a second division team effectively. But at least he's prepared to say... Put your money on me. I'll mm-hmm. carry it on the shoulders. I would have liked to have seen him go to Trek to replace yep. Contador and have Volker Molema then would have been the second in line. That would have been a big move by Mikael Lander. Let's see what happens at Movistar. And the culture of Movistar is different as well. I don't know if you've ever been to a Spanish national team press conference, but it's like being at a Sunday barbecue. It's awesome. They sort of sit around and even the journalists, you sort of just sit around a room willy-nilly and just you're throwing comments left, right and centre. So maybe that sort of culture within a Spanish team will will help him. And of... I know, I know you've got a French bias for the Absolutely. cuisine in France and the dinner table at France, but nothing's as fun as dinner at the Volta de Spagna. This may be cut at the... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, we have to talk about Froome. Uh, and Do we? Uh, we have to. Okay. Uh, and not because I want to, but because uh, David Lapartien, president of the UCI, uh, came out and made the statement saying the case for Froome will be a long one. He's sort of basically hinting Froome will be here in Israel when the Tour of Italy starts. Why is this case taking so long? I don't know, but I've got a question for both of you. Who's suffering from Froome fatigue? I am. Everybody, <laughs> Everybody. is. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the point... It's not affecting Sky, though, to be no. fair. I mean, no. They're, they're the... still at the pointy end of uh, the results. And it actually, it, from a commentary perspective, recently at Paris-Nice, I found it difficult at some points with Team Sky being on the, ca- on the screen, having had a major news outbreak the day before of do I need to reference that? Because you've got, for example, in that race, there was David De La Cruz and Dylan Van Baal, who've only joined the team this year. They've had no history with Team Sky. They shouldn't be tarnished with that brush. And the Froome case is one where I think he's done the wrong thing. I think he's made a mistake. It's a speeding fine. I think he will be suspended. And I just want the thing resolved. And there's been some comments, at least we're not talking about EPO or blood bags or human growth hormone. It is a drug that you're allowed to take, but he's taken too much of it. But still, to the general population that follows sport broadly, not cycling specifically, if you listen to talkback radio on a sports channel, they just see it as another doping case. And the sport is getting dragged through the mud. And the longer it goes on, the more mud it gets dragged through. But even the inst- like the, the highest instances, the UCI, they're not hinting that they are speeding things up. They are saying, watch out, it's going to be a long run. Because they've got no idea what to do. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. I don't actually don't know. know. Like, I can freely, freely admit that why it is actually taking so long. Like You'd think everyone would want a, a quick <laughs> resolution to this. Froome, so he knows what he's doing. Sky, so he knows so they know what they're doing and the sport you know the governing body in general so yeah. we don't have another scandal Festina 20 years you mean, you mentioned it. you don't it want it is this you year and you know if this carries on to the tour de france i mean this will overtake <laughs> the racing coverage yeah. in a in it'll a way it'll be the story mm. 
it'll unfortunately be the story. I think we said this with Maka last time, where how much would we already want to be in that press conference the day before where Froome is here in Noirmoutier the day before the Tour de France? And to be fair, like Sky, every tour I've been to, they always get a doping question. I think if you're, that's sort of because of what's happened in the past, that's still a sort of frequent question asked of of the leading team, which has been The yellow jersey always does. Always. Yeah. No matter who it is or what team they ride for, the yellow jersey always does, which isn't a reflection on that individual. It's a reflection on the sport. Of the past. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the NRS. The uh, National Road Series. National Road Series. A few days ago now, I think it was early March, there was a, an announcement that calendar is changing. It's a shame... Uh, like we said, Pat is not here with us today because uh, he's a very uh, big defendant of the NRS and the structure. Uh, but Matthew, what do you make of this changes in, in the calendar? Well, the key thing is that there's been a calendar announced relatively early, mm-hmm. which puts us ahead of where we've been for the past two years. There's some structure to the calendar. There's a greater balance between the men's and the women's races as well, which is really good. And there's been some additions to it. So it kicks off with a graft in Inverell in May. There's no races in June. There's one race in July, which is the Battle Recharge up in Queensland. Then in August, there's one race, Battle of uh, the Tour of the Great South Coast. There's then August, back end of August, start of September, Tour of the King Valley. Amy's Otway Classic, men's and women's races there in the middle of September. We then go to Tour of Gippsland in October, November Tour of Tassie, and then a new event, Giro della Donna, in the middle of November. It's a long season. There's big gaps in the calendar. I'd love to see it condensed, which would make it easier for us to be able to cover and give some exposure to these teams and tell the story of the National Road Series. But this is an enormous step forward from where the series has been for the past two seasons. And Cycling Australia have said the program this year is skint because they're, they're trying to sort of do a general overhaul in terms of format as well. So they're talking about having an effective classic season, an effective tour season and so forth, which I think is better than some stage races they've had previous where you have a criterium in the morning and a short road stage in the afternoon. If you're talking about breeding riders to graduate to pro continental or world tour ranks, I don't see how that format benefits them at all because <laughs> it's not something that's replicated in Europe and you know, Cycling Australia at the moment are saying the gaps will allow teams to go overseas and race, you know, race in America or race in Asia. And that's always, I guess, good to have that as a marker. But I agree. I think the overhaul's well overdue and they have said it's skint. But particularly in the women's calendar, I'd like to see a few more races there because there is such a gap in the national development program. But I agree in that it should be more compact just because then it, it mirrors a world tour or a pro conti calendar and also because it must be quite frustrating that's like going to work for a month and then having two months off and then going for <laughs> going to work again like what do you do in the interim do you train do you get a job but from a promotional perspective it's a whole lot easier if it is compact it would make it a lot easier for us to talk about the national road series if there was one race every fortnight for three months mm. as opposed to this spread out from may through to november so then each time we need to talk about it we've got to do a recap of what happened last time. But there's been a lot of criticism of Cycling Australia over the past two years, particularly surrounding the National Road Series. This one, massive pat on the back. Kip Kaufman has gone in there, he's made a huge amount of progress, and this is a massive step forward. So congratulations to them. And some of the placements, like the, the November races, the, um, the early January races, I think will be good as well because the pros will be back. I'm talking about the you know, top-tier pros. Yep. are normally back in the country then as well and do get involved if they can. So that will raise the benchmark or the level as well.
Okay. Uh, so what's coming up on uh, SBS uh, over the couple of weeks? Uh, there's the APSA Cap Epic live stream on the 25th of March, but on the 1st of April, Tour of Flanders. Can't wait. Yeah, really looking forward to this one. And I'm hoping that we get more coverage of the women's race than what we've had the past couple of years. The last two years, we've just cut to it unannounced. The sprint finished with about 1,500 metres to go. And I've got my fingers crossed for Gracie Alvin. And in the men's? The men's race, I think it's going to be an even playing field this year. Everyone's seems to be the main protagonist around the same benchmark. So I don't think you can look past Greg Van Avermaet. He's an obvious choice. Uh, and, and Peter Sagan. But like it's that sort of second tier I'm also interested in as well, like John Degenkolbs. He's had a, a bit of a sketchy start to the season. Everyone seems to be either Team Flanders or Team Paris-Roubaix. I've been to both and I'm very much so Team Paris-Roubaix. But I think this year it'll be interesting because you've sort of got a new generation coming through as well. <laughs> My favourite one-day race of the year is on most weekends in April. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, fine. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I just, Come on, Christoph. I just chop and change. Oh, so for the, the, no, for the tour of Flanders. Hey, hey, you made a decision for once. Yeah. Mark this day. <laughs> tour of Flanders, Sepp Van Mark is another one to watch for. He's been second mm, there in the true. past. I'd really like to see him win it at some point in his career. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the progress of Alex Edmondson, who is yep. targeting this race. He's won the under-23 version. Australians have finished second a few times in this race. Phil Anderson's been there on the podium. Stuart O'Grady, Heinrich Hausler. Can Alex Edmondson become the first Aussie to win Flanders? It won't be this year, but he can win it at some point. And he's got a national jersey on his shoulders. It'll make it easy to spot for the commentators. Absolutely. Uh, we have to talk about Paris-Roubaix uh, because well, it's coming on SBS on the 8th of April, but the importance of Paris-Roubaix this year because of the uh, the route the Tour de France is going to take, uh, does that change a bit of the, of, of, the, of the demeanor of that race this year? The impact that that stage nine of the Tour de France will have on this year's Paris-Roubaix is precisely zero. Do you think so? Paris Bay yeah. is one of the biggest races no. on the calendar, and in terms of racing, there's zero space in the peloton. It's like from start to finish, 100% go all the time. There is absolutely no way for a novice or someone interested in a recce to do that on that day. I'm not talking about a recce, but uh, does that change anything because of the of the stage nine of the Tour de France? You guys are saying no. Can it, not I, on that I, day. I, I, I want to be, be absolutely clear. No. no. <laughs> I want to prove you wrong, but I at don't know. The Tour de France, at the Tour de France, that could completely yeah. shape the GC. But there is nobody that will be there for any other purpose other than to win or play a su- integral support role. Yeah, and we're going to be Paris talking Bay. about guys that were 75 kilos plus. Yeah. And a few people have made the comment, why don't some of the climbers, the GC guys from the Tour, ride Paris-Roubaix for experience? It's a different beast. When they're in that peloton for the Tour de France, there's fair portion of that peloton that are smaller, lighter, climber guys. So come Paris-Roubaix, they're all classic specialists. They're a lot more aggressive, generally fighting for that position on the on the pavé. If Richie Port rides Paris-Roubaix, he'll be more scared ahead of Stage 9. Go and recce Stage 9 to your heart's content, but don't ride Paris-Roubaix because it will panic you ahead. Well, you're more likely to break a bone then. <laughs> yeah, correct. Exactly. Or, or be <laughs> yeah, Look at what happened to Mitch Docker two years ago when he oh, went into the Arenberg Forest. A horrific crash. That can end the hopes for one of those Tour de France contenders. So, Christophe? No. 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 Okay, I'll throw just one name here, Bardet. Because he's done really well at the Strade Bianca. Yes. He's one of the contenders of the Tour de France. What will he do in Paris-Roubaix if he rides it? The only Tour de France contender that can be a 
impact, can have an impact at Paru Bay is Vincenzo Nibali. Look at the way he rode those cobbles in the wet in 2014. He was there with Lars Boom, former cyclocross world champion, bike going sideways, no problem. Nibali is the only guy from the top five contenders at the Tour de France that can have any impact at Paris-Roubaix. So it's not a definite no. no. Oh, if, it's a definite no. no. <laughs> For AG Tour will be all on Olivia Nazen, the Belgium national champion. And I think it'd be madness to have Bardet there. Yeah. I, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Bardet at Strada Bianca was brilliant. I loved watching him. But that, again, is a different beast. It's a beast. different beast. Okay. It's a bit of – I've actually ridden Strada Wall part of it yeah. and I pressed junk and then died but, <laughs> <laughs> but when was the resurrection like... <laughs> did we have hot cross bumps <laughs> um, an ambulance was actually called <laughs> I'm not tell kidding. us more we've got time <laughs> <laughs> but like Parry Bates is going on a tangent but one of the interesting interviews I've done at the start of the season I always talk to up and comers probably more so than established riders and Jonathan Dibman from Team Sky he did his first Parry Bay last year came dead last made a point of actually finishing the race though but he said it's even the first 100 kilometers of that race which you don't see on tv before the first parve sector he said they just they're at the limit he said before in terms of getting position because there are no gaps so you have to be argy bargy he said before he got to the first parve sector he was cooked he was done. And it was, I mean, yes, he's a rookie. Stress fatigue. He's, <laughs> he's done that race as an under 23. It wasn't completely unfamiliar to him. Um, but, you know, I've seen established pros say the same thing before they've even got to a, a parve sector. There's no room okay. in yeah. that peloton. You know what that means? That means amazing cycling on his beard. Yeah, and it is my favourite classic. You just said before every Sunday yeah. is you can't renege now. No. Well, the tour, uh, on the 1st of April, the Tour of Flanders will be my favourite classic of the year. On the 8th, it will be Paris-Roubaix. Then what Loyalty. weekend is Liège best on the edge? I love Liège best on the edge as so well. not the Amsterdam race? No. no. Okay. It's a 200. Well, when Nathan Huss might is in the mix, uh, we will have I really goal, but... like it. I like it. But I love the other ones. Okay, that's good. We'll finish on this. Thank you guys for coming to the Cycling Podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining the uh, Zwift SBS Cycling Podcast. Before we go, uh, let me remind you our website, sbs.com.au slash central, where you can stay up to date with all the news over the next fortnight. It's been a pleasure talking to you uh, this week. Until we meet again, make sure you stay safe on the road and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today.